Welcome to the PMHMP Podcast, the definitive podcast for those passionate about mental health throughout every stage of life. Whether you're an aspiring professional, a seasoned expert, or someone simply keen to understand the intricate world of psychiatric care, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. John Rossi, a certified PMHMP nurse educator and lead content creator and instructor at Clarity Education Systems and www.pmhmptesting.com. All right, so today we're going to talk about something that I've had a lot of questions about over the last couple of weeks, and that's primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. You know, at the surface, it's a pretty simple concept. It's pretty easy to grasp, I think, once you identify what the key characteristics of each one of these preventions actually is. Uh, But it can be a little confusing when you actually put it into practice and you think about scenarios that fit within primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. So what we're going to do today is just break down those. Um, Again, this is all information that you'll find in our PMHMP review course for the certification exam. But unfortunately, during a review, we can only go over the, you know, very the basic, most important things that you need to know for test questions. But in these podcasts, we're going to dive a little deeper. So if you're having a hard time understanding the review concepts and you need a little more, uh, you know, a little more storytelling, a little more um, in-depth view of the actual concept, that's what we're doing here today. So let's talk about primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention as it pertains to healthcare in general, but we'll put a little focus on mental health care since that's what we're all here for. So if you are here today to start preparing for that examination, or if you're just a a professional wanting to, to talk and learn more about these three topics, we're excited to have you and we'll go ahead and break this down. So Primary prevention in healthcare, especially in mental health care, is proactive approaches. This is that proactive approach to focus on preventing. And that P word is the most important word for primary. Primary prevention. Primary preventing. So we're, we're really looking to, um, to, to approach this before the onset of diseases. So primary prevention prevents the onset of disease or disorder before they occur. Now, this strategy aims to reduce the risk factors or determinants that contribute to mental health disorders. So that's the importance of primary prevention. So let's take a look at some of the key concepts related to primary prevention and mental health. So number one is risk reduction, identifying and mitigating factors that increase the likelihood of mental health issues. This includes genetic predisposition, environmental stressors, and lifestyle choices. Then we have health promotion, encouraging behaviors that support mental health. This includes fostering resilience, stress management, and promoting healthy lifestyles that integrate um, physical, emotional, and social well-being. Next, this really involves community engagement, so involving communities in design and implementation of these mental health programs to ensure they're culturally sensitive and relevant to the situation. And finally, we want to look at policy implementation, developing policies that create environments that are conducive to mental health, such as anti-bullying policies in schools or workplace mental health initiatives. So some of the strategies in primary care, um, or sorry, primary prevention are educational programs. This targets groups in various life stages, for example, children, adolescents, up through adulthood, with information and skills to prevent mental health disorders. Again, it's all about that prevention of even ever getting the disorder in the first place for primary. Um, Implementing mindfulness, meditation, and other stress management techniques in various settings, this would be a stress reduction program, and that is considered primary prevention. 
social support networks, um, enhancing community support systems to provide safety nets and uh, safety locations for individuals that may be at risk, so that way we can prevent it from ever going anywhere, right? That's that primary prevention. Okay, healthy lifestyle promotion, so encouraging regular exercise, balanced diet, and uh, getting sufficient sleep would be another example. All of these have been shown to improve mental health and physical health. So these are all really great strategies for that primary prevention. Now there are, we're gonna talk about the inherited challenges and considerations for each one of these uh, levels of prevention. And for primary, we have to understand the cultural context because that's crucial when designing and implementing prevention strategies. And for primary prevention, that includes, you know, there might be dietary restrictions that are already involved in a population that we have to be, you know, mindful of, or th this could uh, come into play with uh, non-traditional families, with um, environments that maybe there's a higher population of HIV AIDS but we aren't really focusing on that secondary tertiary. We want to focus on primary and preventing the spread of the disease within that uh, community. So these are all challenges that we need to consider when we are um, really thinking about primary prevention opportunities. So resource allocation, ensuring adequate funding and resources are directed towards prevention efforts. Stigma reduction, and I think these all kind of fit for all, all three levels, but we'll, we'll touch on each one of them as we go through each primary, secondary, and tertiary. So combating stigma associated with mental health disorders to include um, encouraging people to seek out that help early in that primary stage. And then obviously we want to encourage utilizing evidence-based practices and evidence-based interventions that have been proven effective through that research process. So utilizing applications on your phone, uh, laptop, um, uh, tablets. So these are all online resources for mental health education. And they're really great opportunities for you to get out there with the, um, the primary prevention techniques by utilizing these, these applications and these tools that have been developed in the technology world. And then finally, expanding access to mental health services through telehealth care, telehealth services, um, especially in those underserved areas or uh, rural populations. So these are all impacts to technology as they pertain to primary prevention. All right, so it's essential, and we've talked about this quite a bit in other podcasts and in our review, but primary prevention is essential to the complexity of disease processes and how if we don't catch them by preventing them, then we're going to have a lot more work to do during those secondary and tertiary stages. So the goal is to always never need to go beyond that primary prevention level. So that's going to happen through commitment to holistic, culturally sensitive approaches that are vital to advancing that primary care, primary prevention in the mental health realm. Okay, so we've, we've talked about what primary prevention is. Now let's go into some specific examples. So for each one of these levels, we're going to give three examples for uh, that prevention level. So first is going to be primary, example one, school-based mental health literacy programs. So in a suburban community, the local school district implements a comprehensive mental health literacy program for middle school and high school students. This initiative, led by a team of school psychologists, counselors, and external mental health uh, professionals that have been brought in, aims to educate students about mental health, including recognizing early signs of mental disorders and understanding how to seek help. That's a prevention school-based education opportunity or platform. So mental health topics are integrated into the health and science curriculum. Lessons cover ranges of topics such as stress management, the importance of sleep, coping mechanisms, and understanding common 
and mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. And then teachers receive training to identify early warning signs of mental health issues. That's going to help foster that supportive classroom environment. And then regular workshops are held for parents also. So we want to engage the parents in this as well, not just the students and the teachers. And this is going to focus on how to talk about mental health with their children and then recognizing those signs of distress. So what's the overall impact of a school-based primary um, mental health literacy program for primary prevention? So the program leads to increased awareness among students about mental health. That's number one. Number two, there is a noticeable reduction in the stigma associated with mental health issues. And then early intervention rates improve as more students seek help when needed. So you can kind of see everything that encompasses that primary prevention opportunity through a mental health literacy program, primary. All right, example number two, we're going to talk about community-based stress reduction workshops. So a community health center in an urban area launches this stress reduction workshop aimed at adults, particularly those in high-stress occupations, for example, lawyers, medical providers, things of that nature. Now, these workshops are a part of primary prevention strategies. You know, I think we could, we could lump in teachers in that group, um, just small business owners. So you can see it could really fit a whole bunch of different people. So they, like I say, in these workshops are a part of a primary prevention strategy to reduce the incidences of stress-related mental health like burnout, anxiety, and depression. So these include mindfulness meditation, yoga practices, cognitive behavioral techniques to manage that stress, professionals uh, trained in mental health and wellness, they're going to be the ones that facilitate this. So we look for volunteers and maybe some small business owners that are in the mental health community. Um, so one other thing that we can do is offering online resources. So health centers provide access to online modules and uh, continue learning experiences. That way they can practice these at home as well. So one thing that we want to consider is also a follow-up support. So we've taught them, we've given them an opportunity to take it home, and now we want to have them with an opportunity to participate um, with counselors or other individual consultation units in order for ongoing support. So this is example two for primary mental health care. That's going to be a community-based stress reduction workshop. All right, so the impact of this, um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a few, but participants are, participants are going to have that lowered level of stress and improved coping skills. There's a decrease in work-related mental health absences among participants, and the program receives po positive, positive feedback, leading to its expansion to other communities. So all impacts as a result of this primary prevention through a community-based stress reduction workshop. All right, so let's do one more example of primary prevention, and that's digital mental health promotion for college students. So a university implements a digital mental health promotion initiative targeting its student population. Now, this program is designed to prevent mental health issues that are prevalent in college settings, again, such as anxiety, depression, and a big one is substance abuse. So some components of a digital mental health promotion for college students in the primary prevention realm would be a mobile application. So uh, the university would work in conjunction with mental health providers to develop 
a mental health app that offers those health those self-help tools for free uh, mood tracking stress management techniques um, and so this also provides information about on-campus resources and maybe on-campus activities to get them engaged sometimes these students are outside of their home for the first time in a very foreign environment and they just don't know how to socially interact or where to find activities to participate in so this mobile application could help with that primary promotion then we've got online campaigns, so regular online um, campaigns that are conducted via social media and university websites, focusing on that mental health awareness and destigmatization. And then we can do peer support programs, so peer-led um, in order to establish a trained environment with volunteers that come in and are, are taught how to um, interact with uh, some of the students on the campus regarding mental health in order to offer initial support and guidance for fellow students seeking mental help. So what's the impact here? What's the impact of this primary prevention in the way of digital mental health promotion? There's an increase in engagement with mental health resources on the campus. Students report feeling more empowered to manage their mental health. And then the university sees a decline in the severity of mental health cases presented at the campus health center. So that's gonna help with um, access because they'll have more access. It's gonna help overall with student production and their ability to maintain and seek after good grades. So there's a lot of positive aspects for primarily promoting this uh, decrease in depression, anxiety, and substance use and abuse through a health promotion targeted at college students on campus. All right, so all really good examples um, to illustrate how primary prevention can be effective in implementing different um, strategies within different settings by addressing various target populations and employing diverse methods to prevent. That's the key word. If you're reading a question and it talks about preventing something from ever happening, that is going to be primary prevention. All right, I think we've, we've got that one down. So let's go on to secondary prevention in healthcare, particularly in um, areas when detecting early disease processes in order to intervene and treat an existing disease and prevent its progression. That is the key to secondary prevention. We're going to look at early detection through screening and then starting a prompt, you know, right then intervention to prevent it from getting worse. That is secondary prevention. All right, so key principles of secondary prevention and mental health. This involves identifying mental health issues as soon as possible, typically through screening and assessment tools. Early detection aims to catch mental health problems at a stage where intervention is most effective. This is timely, right? This is all about timing. Once a mental health issue is identified, immediate and appropriate intervention is going to be crucial. This could include therapy, medication management, or a combination of treatments. Now, monitoring and follow-up is going to be a huge part of secondary prevention. Continuous monitoring of individuals at risk for those that have shown early signs, follow-up to ensure that the intervention is effective, and then to make adjustments treating um, that individual and those plans that have been put into place. This is where I think students sometimes sometimes get confused because they think, oh, well, we've moved on to tertiary at that point. No. If we are still dealing with the initial identification, quick response to intervention, and then follow up to that response in order to tweak it a little bit so that way we know it's still effective or to change course, that is all still considered secondary prevention. We have not moved into the um, tertiary level at that point.
All right, uh, minimizing and monitoring the impact. So the goal of secondary prevention is to minimize the impact of the disease. Um, that way they're able to continue functioning and have a higher quality of life. Little different than tertiary. This again is totally associated with that minimization of quickly identifying the disease or the disorder and then working fast to prevent it from getting worse. So this involves not only treating the symptoms, but also addressing the psychosocial aspects of the disorder. So what are some of the strategies involved in secondary prevention? One is going to be screening programs. So implementing regular screening for mental health conditions in schools, workplaces, and in primary care clinics. Two, we want integrated care models, combining mental health services with primary care to ensure early detection and treatment of mental health issues outside of the mental health world. So we want to catch this on the front lines, in those urgent care clinics, in those primary care clinics. Targeted intervention for at-risk populations is going to be our third strategy here. So providing specialized programs for groups known to be at a higher risk for certain mental health disorders. So like trauma survivors, um, individuals with family history of mental health diseases. we got to target them, then we got to screen them, and then we've got to offer immediate intervention, all secondary strategies. Okay, and then we have community-based services. This is offering accessible mental health services in community settings. That way we, they receive that prompt care. So they've identified it in that, in that primary stage that we talked about earlier, and now we're gonna offer that same level of secondary prevention at the community level to get out those prompt care resources so that we can address it immediately to prevent it from getting worse. Now, some of the challenges and considerations with secondary. So stigma and accessibility, again, that's gonna be a huge issue. So we gotta overcome that stigma, and then we've gotta make sure that we are providing screening and treatment services to everyone within the community that you work for. Um, balancing the need for that comprehensive screening program with the available healthcare resources. So that's, that's, that's a tricky area, but it just takes constant communication and working in, on an interdisciplinary approach to figure out what can be provided at that community level to then give resources that will intervene immediately once something's been detected, once they have the disease or the disorder. All right, and then we also want to consider, consider any of the screening tools and interventions as they relate to cultural practices, um, obviously going to be a big one as we move forward in treatment. And then finally, evidence-based approaches, utilizing those interventions that are new and that have been tested uh, with scientific evidence. Okay, now it's time for those uh, secondary prevention examples. We got three of them coming up. So first, example number one is going to be post-trauma counseling programs for accident survivors. So in a major city's trauma center, a secondary prevention program is established for individuals who have experienced traumatic accidents recognizing that such experiences can lead to those mental health issues like PTSD, anxiety, or depression, this program is going to aim to provide early intervention. So immediate assessment is given. Mental health professionals conduct evaluation of accident survivors during their hospital stay to identify signs of trauma-related stress. Then it leads to counseling services. Short-term counseling sessions offer to survivors focusing on coping strategies and emotional support. Can you see how this is going right in there, right? We have screened for it, and now we're giving immediate intervention in this secondary prevention level. And then referral system. These patients showing those signs of more severe psychological distress are then going to be referred to specialized mental health services 
for further treatment. Now, what's the impact of this type of secondary prevention? Early signs of trauma-related mental health addressed promptly. Survivors feel supported. They feel less likely to develop long-term psychological problems because of early intervention. And then the program leads to better understanding of mental health needs of trauma survivors. So really great example of a secondary level prevention. Now, example number two, this is going to be depression screening and intervention in primary care. So a primary care clinic integrates a depression screening and intervention program into its routine care. So this program is designed to identify and treat depression in its earliest stages. Again, they have the disease, and now we're going to treat in its earliest stages who might not otherwise seek mental health services. This is, a, this is an opportunity in primary care to catch them. So some of the components of this would include patients are regularly screened for depression using standardized uh, screening tools during general checkups. What are some of those tools? We talk about it in the review courses. PHQ-9s, um, let's, let's lump in anxiety too. Uh, GAD-7, uh, the BEC, um, you know, there's all, there, there, there's just a few, um, but there's quite a few out there and we're going to put those into um, primary care settings. And then we're going to use a collaborative care approach. So a team approach involving primary care providers, mental health specialists, care managers, all working together to create and implement treatment plans. Finally, ongoing monitoring. Patients diagnosed with depression are going to be closely monitored with regular follow-ups to adjust treatment plans as needed. And that includes both um, uh, referral to uh, psychotherapy as well as medical management, um, pharmacological management within the primary care setting. So what's the impact of a depression screening and intervention in primary care? Well, first, we're going to have increased early detection of depression leading to timely intervention. We're going to have patients exhibit improved outcomes due to early and coordinated care. And then the stigma surrounding mental health care decreases with the patient population. All right, let's move on to our third and final example of secondary prevention. This is going to be a substance abuse early intervention program at high schools. So we're going to recognize the rise in substance abuse among teenagers. Because of this, high school districts are launching an early intervention program. The program targets students who are at risk for substance abuse or have begun experimenting with drugs and alcohol. So in this case, we have a split prevention. We have, we have um, offering a program to you know, look at teens that may be at greater risk for this, and then we're going to offer primary prevention. And then we're also going to go that other branch, and we're going to look at those that have already begun experimenting with drugs and alcohol. So you can see how you can have two different things, two different prevention levels within the same program. But on this one, we're going to focus on that secondary prevention. So what are some of the components of this? Um, interactive workshops are conducted focusing on the risk of substance abuse and strategies for resistance confidentiality screenings. So students are offered confidential screenings for substance use and related mental health issues. And then we give them counseling and support. So those identified as at risk or beginning to engage in substance use are provided with counseling services. And then if they need to, referrals to specialized care. So what's the overall impact of this type of uh, secondary prevention? Program helps in early identification, and students that are at risk of substance abuse are targeted immediately, um, so that way they can get immediate care. They receive the support and guidance before substance use escalates to more serious conditions and addiction, and then there is an increased awareness of understanding of substance abuse among the student body. 
All right, so those are all really great examples of a secondary level of prevention. Remember, secondary aims to utilize screeners and implement immediate interventions and treatment care plans in order for to prevent it from progressing into something more serious uh, later on down the road. All right, y'all, so finally, let's look at tertiary prevention in healthcare. Again, this is specific to mental health care, and this involves strategies and treatments that focus on managing established diseases or conditions to prevent further deterioration, complications, and then the big key here is improvement of quality of life. So for tertiary, we, we've gone beyond preventing it in primary. We've gone beyond screening for it and finding it at its earliest stages and then trying to intervene immediately. And we've now entered into the portion where the patient has had this disease, it's well established, and now we want to do things to help keep it from progressing and really give them an improved quality of life. So this approach is crucial for individuals who have a chronic or long-term mental health disorders. Um, so we're going to look at tertiary prevention and really identify the key principles now of what it takes in order to establish this, this, this higher level of, of pre preventative care. Okay, so disease management is going to be a big principle when, it, when we consider tertiary. So the central aspect of tertiary prevention is this management of chronic mental health conditions to reduce symptom severity and prevent relapse. Rehabilitation, another key concept, a key goal is to rehabilitate these individuals, providing their functional capabilities and then assisting them in achieving the highest possible level of, inter of independence. All right, quality of life. Efforts are focused on not just the clinical aspects of mental illness, but also enhancing the overall quality of life of these individuals, including their social, emotional, and vocational well-being. This is a holistic approach. This is the final principle in this section. Tertiary prevention involves a comprehensive approach that addresses the medical, psychological, and social needs of the individual. Okay, so what are the strategies in tertiary prevention? Number one is long-term treatment plans. These may include ongoing medication management, uh, psychotherapy, and other therapeutic interventions tailored toward the individual needs. Number two is going to be support groups and peer support. So encouraging participation in support groups for social and emotional support. This is going to provide them a way of sharing experiences and then learning coping strategies with others in the same situation or in similar situations. Rehabilitation services, offering that vocational rehabilitation, occupational therapy, and social rehabilitation services to aid in reintegration into society if necessary. And then care coordination, ensuring seamless coordination between various healthcare providers, mental health specialists, and social services to provide comprehensive, ongoing improvement care. Now, there are some key challenges that we've, we've already touched on in the other prevention areas, but a big one for tertiary is going to be accessibility and continuity of care. So this is, it makes sense, right, when you think about it. When we talk about tertiary prevention, this is long-term approach. This is a chronic approach. So we have to make sure that it's accessible in all areas and that they have the opportunity to continue to see the same provider or a provider within the same clinical setting that way that continuity of care is remained. Uh, stigma and discrimination, obviously societal stigma, uh, barriers to seeking that continuing treatment are gonna need to be addressed. 
resource allocation, as well as cultural competence also still need to be considered in tertiary treatment. Um, the role of technology, um, we, we touched on this in, I, I think, in a larger scale during primary and then somewhat in secondary, but in tertiary, it can be very beneficial as well. So providing ongoing support and therapy through digital platforms, especially uh, those in those remote and rural areas, and then monitoring applications, that's going to be a big one. Those, those mobile health applications uh, to continue to monitor for blood pressure, for spikes in um, pulse, and, um, you know, we, we've even got the opportunity to put PHQ-9s, GAD-7s, um, BECs, and other monitoring screening tools that they can just use daily or however often that needs to be done within that screening tool concept. But it's done through mobile healthcare devices. All right, so tertiary, we want to prevent it from getting worse. But most importantly, we want to help improve their current situation for individuals that have the disease. It's prominent. It's chronic. What do we do to help them in the long term? So let's move on to our examples for tertiary prevention. All right. First one up is integrated care program for schizophrenia patients. Schizophrenia is a big one for tertiary. So a psychiatric hospital develops an integrated care program for patients with schizophrenia. This program is designed to manage the chronic aspects of schizophrenia and improve patients' quality of life, focusing on both medical management and psychosocial rehabilitation. So what are the components of an integrated care program for schizophrenics? First is that interdisciplinary team, a team comprising of psychiatrists, psychologists, nurse practitioners, social workers, occupational therapists, all working for comprehensive care. All right, and then medication management, regular monitoring and adjustment of antipsychotic meds to manage symptoms and minimize side effects. Nurses are going to be an integral part of this medication management opportunity. Psychoeducation, educating patients on their and their families about schizophrenia, treatment options, and then coping strategies, and really what to expect in the future. How do we see this disease process going forward, and what will happen if, A, we don't medicate and we don't treat with psychotherapy, as opposed to, B, where all of those are in place and what type of prognosis we would have if we utilize that integrated care program. Vocal, um, vocation rehabilitation, so offering job training and placement services to help patients reintegrate back into the workforce. And then finally, social skill training, programs aimed at improving communication and interpersonal skills. So a lot of huge impacts for a tertiary integrated care program for schizophrenics. Patients experience reduced symptoms and fewer hospital readmissions. That's a huge one. Fewer hospital readmissions. Increased participation in employment and social activities and then improved overall well-being and family relationships for the patients. All right, great one. Example number two, long-term management program for major depressive disorder. So a community mental health center establishes a long-term management program for individuals with major depressive disorder, focusing on preventing relapses and improving daily function. So what are the main components of this tertiary long-term management program for MDD? Ongoing CBT sessions to help patients manage thoughts and behaviors, regular consultations with uh, PMHMPs, psychiatrists, um, nurse care managers to ensure effective medication use, and then big one here is to manage the side effects of the medications. Lifestyle, lifestyle counseling, uh, guidance on exercise, diet, sleep hygiene, and 
um, other uh, physical um, practicing components in order to improve health overall. Peer support groups, facilitating support groups for sharing experiences and coping strategies. And then mindfulness and stress reduction. This is going to include workshops on uh, mindfulness practices in order to reduce the stress. And the key takeaway here is the emotional regulation improvement. All right, important aspects of a long-term tertiary management program for MDD. Patients report lower incidence and severity of depressive symptoms, enhanced ability to manage everyday life changes, and then improved social and occupational functioning. All right, let's move on to our last example of the day here for um, tertiary, and that's going to be a comprehensive care for chronic PTSD and military veterans. So our example is an, a, a veterans healthcare facility implements a comprehensive care program for military veterans with chronic PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. So this program is, is really going to aim to address the complex needs of the population to include those psychological, physical, and social aspects. Now, main components of a tertiary care program for PTSD and military veterans, chronic care, trauma-focused therapy, implementing evidence-based treatments like prolonged exposure and uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, also known as EMDR. Addressing comorbid conditions often associated with chronic PTSD is going to be a, a physical health care component, and this is uh, for things such as chronic pain and substance abuse. Next, we've got family involvement, and this is where we incorporate family therapy sessions to improve family dynamics and the support system. This is really important for military families. A lot of times we focus primarily on the military member themselves, but family is a big part, especially when it comes to PTSD and how they're interacting on the fam with the family and at the family level. All right, then we have community integration, so programs to help veterans engage with community activities and foster that sense of belonging. Um, oftentimes when they leave the military or, you know, they feel like they are now separated from their brothers and sisters at arms, they just feel disconnected, and this tertiary prevention opportunity allows for community integration. All right, then we have ongoing support and monitoring. So this includes regular follow-ups to monitor PTSD symptoms and adjust treatment plans as needed. All part of this tertiary comprehensive PTSD care program for our military veterans. Overall impact on something like this would be that the veterans show significant improvements in PTSD symptoms and general well-being. Next, we have increased engagement in community and family life. And then finally, reduction in secondary issues like substance abuse and unemployment. All key aspects for this tertiary example. So we've got some great examples here on how we can utilize prevention at the primary, secondary, and tertiary level in order to help many of our um, populations. No matter what area you live in, there's going to be an opportunity for you to utilize one of these levels at some point in time to help the quality of care and access to care for your, um, for your population. All right, y'all. So that's it. We've talked about primary, secondary, and tertiary. Let's do a quick synopsis and um, final discussion about each one of these. Hopefully this will help you as you go on and answer some of the practice questions as you're preparing for your certification exam, or if you're already in practice and trying to figure out the best way for you, your clinic, and your community to move forward, that you can break down these primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention options 
and really establish some great uh, programs to help the population. So primary prevention, remember, primary prevention aims to prevent disease or injury before it ever occurs. This is done by preventing exposure to hazards that cause disease or injury, altering unhealthy or unsafe behaviors that can lead to disease or injury, and increasing resistance to disease or injury should exposure occur. In mental health care, this level focuses on reducing risk factors and strengthening protective factors to prevent the onset of mental health disorders. It involves general health promotion and the implementation of strategies that foster resilience and emotional well-being in the general population. Examples include mental health education in schools, community-based stress reduction programs, and promoting healthy lifestyles, and I'll also go ahead and add in there vaccinations. Secondary prevention. This is a targeted um, prevention approach for individuals who exhibit early signs of a mental health disorder. The goal is early identification and prompt intervention to halt the progression of the disease and limit its impact. This level of prevention relies heavily on screening and early detection methods, followed by appropriate interventions such as counseling or, or medication management for those um, identified at risk level. Secondary prevention is critical in mental health as early treatment is often uh, considered the best way to have more comprehensive outcomes. So examples include depression screening in primary care settings and early intervention programs for substance abuse in high schools. Tertiary prevention. This focuses on managing and improving the quality of life for individuals with established diseases or long-term mental health conditions. The objectives here are to reduce the impact of the disease, prevent complications and secondary illnesses, and restore as much functionality as possible to improve quality of life. This level involves long-term treatment strategies, rehabilitation programs, and support for chronic conditions. Remember, tertiary prevention is essential for helping individuals achieve the highest level of functioning and quality of life possible despite their mental health condition. Examples include integrated care programs for schizophrenia, long-term management of major depressive disorder, and comprehensive care for chronic PTSD military veterans. All right, understanding these differences um, between the three levels of prevention is gonna be crucial for developing comprehensive mental health care strategies. Primary prevention focuses on averting the initial development of the disorder. Secondary prevention emphasizes early detection and intervention, and tertiary prevention aims to manage ongoing issues and enhance quality of life. You've now heard each one of these three different times with three different examples. You've got this. Each level plays a vital role in holistic approach to mental health, emphasizing that effective healthcare involves not only treating diseases, but also preventing them from mitigating their long-term impacts. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the PMHMP podcast. We are so excited to have you a part of our program. If you're not yet part of the PMHMP certification review for both on-demand and in-person opportunities, please visit us at www.pmhmptesting.com or give us a call at 903-244-8441. Thanks so much. We'll see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye.